0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between. On this week's episode, I will be talking about 2019's Caligula by Lingua Ignata. Now, uh, there's a lot to unpack about this record, and um, by the end of the episode, you'll see why, but you know, I pushed it back so many times. Uh, I've had it on my list of albums to do for probably close to a year now, uh, roughly. Like, it's, there's a lot. But um, before we dive into all of that and into uh, Kristen Hader and and all the the shit associated with the album, uh, let's get on down to Variant Corner. So there are 13 variants listed on Discogs. Uh, there is a, uh, clear, there's a black, there's blue, there's clear with pink and black, uh, and gold's, uh, it's clear with pink and black and gold splatter, a light blue, a, uh, blue pink smash, a gold and black smash with pink sp- uh, splatter. Uh, that one in particular looks really fucking sick. Uh, a triple stripe gold clear pink, uh, pink variant, which is the one that I originally wanted a, uh, pink white galaxy, they call it, uh, that's the one I ended up getting, and a White Opaque. Uh, None of those have the pressing counts uh, listed. The ones that do, however, are extremely limited. Uh, The Gold is limited to 100, as is the Pink variant as well. Uh, There's a Glow-in-the-Dark Blue that is limited to only 92 copies. Uh, A few of these can get pretty pricey, which is why I didn't get get the one that I wanted. Uh, I believe it was listed for around 100 or so uh, then they announced a repress, so I just waited and, and got the repress for 30. Looks like the prices range anywhere from like 50 to 150, depending on the variant. Uh, with the clear, for whatever reason, being the most expensive at around 350. The jacket of the record I can only describe as being like I don't know, very theatrical. It's it's um, much like the music contained within the album. It's just uh, the artwork and and just the, the pictures of of her and like kind of the settings and everything. Like it's it's really fucking cool. The only thing that I'm slightly disappointed with, at least with the variant I have, is the color. I wish that it was maybe a darker pink so that you could see, like, the white trails uh, more clearly. Uh, as it is now, it's it's like the pink is so light. It's it's hard. It looks like a solid pink record unless you get really close to it. And, like, so, like, I don't know, like, calling it Pink White Galaxy, I was hoping for more, I don't know, galaxy, I guess. More, like I said, more of the, the white streaks or make it to where it's more pronounced i don't, I don't know it, it just i never was super uh fond of that record when it came in i guess as far as the, the way the color came out but uh, it sounds good like it sounds amazing so that, that's always good the the pressing itself sounds really good but the color could have could have been done better but um so let's get into a little bit of kristen hater who uh, that is her real name by the way um before we dive into the record so she was born in 1986 she is in. Uh, American, classically trained, multi-instrumentalist, originally from Southern California, and currently resides in Rhode Island. Uh, In 2017, she released two albums, uh, Let the Evil of His Own Lips Cover Him and All Bitches Die, under the moniker Lingua Ignata, uh, Latin for unknown language. Uh, Through word of mouth, uh, her music caught the attention of Profound Lore Records, who reissued All Bitches Die, and released her third studio album, Caligula, in 2019. Uh, She draws on her experiences as a survivor of domestic violence for musical and lyrical inspiration and describes her music as, quote, survivor anthems. So about her hometown uh, of uh, Southern California, or Del Mar, California, I guess it says here. She says, uh, I think of Del Mar as sort of a a hell in the way that I was so different than everyone else when I was growing up and couldn't situate myself, couldn't find myself there at all. Um, I get it. (laughs) Growing up here, I mean... I guess I situated myself okay, but, like, I I can kind of get it because when I go to other, at least when things like shows were a thing or uh, just traveling in general, like, I'd go other places and I seem like, it seems like there was communities of people in other places I've been that were more like me, I guess, as far as, like, musical tastes or um, just anything, really, music, uh, music movies, that sort of thing, whereas this town didn't have a whole huge, like, scene... Like, like that, like, I guess that I can relate to as far as like the music that I like or uh, the movies, I guess, like, you know, that that's that's kind of that's different. But like a lot of the, a lot of the music, like I'll talk to even even some of my friends, I'll talk to him, you know, talk to them about certain bands and, uh, you know, get a lot of blank stares or, you know, that kind of stuff. But whatever the case, a uh, it says a teacher. Uh, oh, it says uh, actually she was a uh, raised Catholic and studied a uh, uh school. That's I'm probably pronounced that wrong. It's something Catholic, I don't know, until the sixth grade. And then she entered the public school system. A teacher noticed her voice's natural vibrato when she was eight years old, which led to her becoming a church cantor, singing every week at her local church and beginning classical voice training lessons. Despite a religious upbringing, she considered herself to be an atheist for several several years, starting as a teenager. However, in 2019, says that she became interested in Roman Catholicism. She studied uh, Interdisciplinary Creative Arts at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, earning a Bachelor of Fine Arts and a Master of Fine Arts in uh, Literary Art from Brown University in 2016. Uh, Again, she's classically trained in piano and voice, which that all comes through in the record, which we'll get to I have some sound bites. And it's like, her voice is fucking powerful. But the only way I can, I guess, even just begin to describe it, you know. Uh, It says uh, her... Undergraduate thesis titled Architect and Vapor uh, deconstructed Johann Sebastian Bach's The Well-Tempered Clavier and centered its poetry component around anorexia, a disorder she herself endured for over a decade. Uh, For her MFA thesis titled Burn Everything, Trust No One, Kill Yourself, she created a 10,000-page manuscript, uh, a page count selected because it was approximately her body weight in paper. Uh, linking real-world examples of misogyny and music with their own personal life using a Markov chain, which, real quick side note, a Markov chain is a uh, stochastic model describing a sequence of possible events in which the probability of each event depends only on the state attained in the previous event. Uh, Markov chains have many applications as statistical models of real-world processes, such as studying cruise control systems in motor vehicles, uh, queues or lines of customers arriving at an airport, currency exchange rates, and animal population dynamics, which that makes a whole lot more sense to me than the other definition that I I read or whatever. But in her own words, it was composed of, quote, lyrics, uh, message board posts, and liner notes from subgenres of extreme music that mythologize misogyny, and court papers, audio recordings, and police filings from my own experiences of violence. Uh, in addition to the main script, her interdisciplinary performance included music and a black-and-white video projection with footage of serial killer Eileen Warnos and burning buildings. Uh, she, uh, Kristen Hayter is a survivor of domestic violence and has been in several relationships that were physically, emotional, emotionally, sexually, or psychologically ab- abusive. Um, her most abusive relationship, she says, lasted five years with a very powerful noise musician in the Providence, uh, Rhode Island community. So while the events of her abuse were traumatizing, she says that what came after was was worse, elaborating uh, quote, he was arrested for assaulting me and some of my uh, traumatic memories are being re-victimized by police, by my school, and by the court. Uh, The system is so fucking broken for victims of sexual and domestic violence. Uh, She says of the album, uh, it's about my experience in Providence, uh, speaking out about abuse and feeling invalidated and people who I thought were my friends no longer being my friends and crushing and the crushing uh, experience of how that feels. Uh, Ben Beaumont Thomas noted that hater as he emphasizes the rage and despair of survivors of abuse. While Jeffrey, Jesse Jeffrey Dunn, Robinelli of tiny mixtapes wrote that the album quote, uh, lives in the aftermath of intimate partner abuse in the shivering convulsions of rage and fear. It leaves in the furious moment between identification with and rejection of the abuser and the abuse of the abuse and the abuser, and failures of all sorts. Uh, In an interview with Kerrang, she stated that on the album she is taking you through a cycle of abuse and added that she was looking at abusive power, madness, depravity, and narcissism present in politics and communities as well as herself and her own kind of madness as a result of trauma. Uh, Themes of hate, vengeance, and violence are also prominently explored. Hans Kim of Pop Matters considered that the album is, quote, uh, it's not exactly about healing trauma, but rather it tries to better voice the enduring effects of it, explaining that Hater unapolog- unapologetically expresses her lasting anger, anger throughout the album. Romanelli described it as a, quote, kill your rapist, uh, not as self-care, not as political slogan, but as the emotional and physical manifestation of pain beyond self, uh, citing the line, as she says in, uh, from, from the album, I'm going to throw your body in the fucking river. Uh, while Will uh, Gatzigan of Spin opined that Hater treats revenge as an imperative and the death of her abusers as an inevitability. Heavy. So, on the track, If the Poison Won't Take You, My Dogs Will, uh, Hater reworked the Jonestown death tape as she, quote, wanted to replicate uh, also the really fucked up ambient sound in the death tape, the people screaming, the panicked energy, as well as, uh, the way Jim Jones kept manipulating until the very end. Wait, she, she wanted to explore, explore all that in the song's lyrics, which also examined uh, suicide. So, Christ. So, let's um, let's get into this behemoth, right? Uh, track one, Faithful Servant Friend of Christ. Uh, I found a very helpful article from loudersound.com, where Kristen actually talks about each track that I will link to in the description of this episode. So, uh, she says that uh, Caligula starts with a warning. Uh, I wanted this record to begin with an overture that anticipates melodic themes and material you'll hear later on. Uh, I was thinking of the spiel to Wagner's Das Reinhold, and also of a traditional vocal round or the all-knowing Greek chorus, and the song creates a ring like the record creates a ring. Uh, Variations of that cello line are heard throughout the record. Uh, It ends with Ultra Bells, which is an homage to the Bells on All Bitches Die, Uh, I remember uh, with this one, Seth uh, Manchester, who's the engineer for the record, and I were both really grossed out by the tone of my high voice in the harmony, how shrill it was, and we kept it specifically for that reason. Many, many times on Caligula, we kept the ugliest take. So the song is her uh, repeating, Most glorious and holy light, uh, faithful servant and friend of Christ, most glorious and holy light, bow before unending night. The music in the background of the song reminds me kind of, uh, of parts of the score for Midsommar, which is really cool, but also super haunting. Um, this album is, <laughs> uh, it's hard to listen to, uh, not only for the subject matter and the themes at work here, but also in certain parts, it sounds like kind of what you'd expect to hear in a horror movie before, before someone is uh, murdered. And it's horrifying, like legitimately some parts of this record are just, it's just, Scary, I guess. I don't know. It just really makes you feel just icky and just there's a lot of dread, right? And then not to mention, again, the subject matter and everything else. So, uh, Do You Doubt Me, Traitor, is up next. Uh, she says this is maybe the most complex and counterintuitive song on the record. The piano here is a variation of the cello part you just heard in Faithful Servant. Uh, doubt is crowded, intentionally so, and I think the most important thing is the use of space to create a real sense of dread encroaching, um... The vocals at the beginning are very quiet, but incredibly close. Uh, They move away when it gets loud and move back in at the end for the polyphonic moment, uh, which is loosely based on a medieval song, Shantirai, Pour Mon Courage. Um, The final lines of the song, uttered alone without accompaniment, uh, we tried to make the loudest part of the record. A lot of people have asked if my vocals are pitch shifted in the song, but nope, I was just truly ruined at the time of recording. I tracked these vocals in one take, on the floor of my closet, and when I sent Seth a picture of the extremely basic, bad quality mic I used to record, he said it to you. never send me anything recorded like that. Uh, with that. So says, sorry, Seth. We introduced, uh, Ted Burns on percussion here, who scrapes and squeals around in this wonderful way that really influenced my own use of percussion and texture that you hear throughout. After we had the record kind of put together, I crashed around with aluminum utility lights in my garage for the, for the full hour, and we picked moments, uh, from out of that. I don't know what to say about the text for this song. As usually, uh, as usual, there are multiple sources at play here, and this song is about multiple things with specific references to multiple people. It is a song about pursuit of betrayal. It is an oath. Throw your body in the fucking river is one of my favorite lines on the whole damn thing. Uh, I wanted that pulse at the end to reference a very vivid memory I have of sitting in my room in the dark while cop cars approached outside the rhythmic flashing flashes of red and blue. Whew. So, again, hauntingly beautiful song, right? So she sings, you know, how, how can you doubt me now? You know, how can you doubt me? Uh, every stone on every mountain is etched with my name. Every vein of every leaf of every tree is slaked with poison. She sings to open the song. And boy, <laughs> like she said, yes, she sounds very close, like unsettlingly close to you at this point right that line to uh, every vein of every leaf of every tree is slaked with poison uh the way that she emphasizes the k in the word slaked and also the turn of her, the tone of her voice just like gives me fucking chills so i'm actually going to play that clip now so you can get an idea because me just talking about it is never going to fully make sense i guess so here we go oh. Psyched with poison. So yeah. Um, so as the song goes, it gets more and more frantic and just flat out menacing. Like she starts full on, she starts singing a bit louder, and then goes into full-on throat shredding, just intensity or whatever by the end. And again, it's just it's so fucking intense. Like she says, um, Satan, Satan, Satan get beside me, Satan, Satan, but she's like screaming, like Satan fortify me, I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't eat, I don't sleep, says I don't eat, I let it consume me, how do I break you before you break me, and it kind of keeps repeating there, and um, again, I'm going to play a a quick clip of that one as well, and uh, so again, so you can get a a better feel of of what this album is, you know. So here we go. Oh, boy. So it's very abrasive, but judging by what she said about the song, I'm pretty sure that's the intention. Um, now, I, I included clips of not only that song, but like um, there's one more for another song coming up later that um, I would normally do for a number of reasons. One, because it takes a little more time to get these clips together for the show. So it, there's I don't really have the time to do it every single week. And, and other times, too, it's, it's songs and bands that people know. So you kind of... You know, I can usually sing it well enough, I guess, to sort of give you an idea of what it is. Or even if you know the song, then you're like you know, you, you'll know it, right? It's not a big deal. There's no fucking way I could sing that song or any portion of this album. So, yeah. So I figured, you know, I I have to include clips. There's literally no other way for me to do for me to get across what this record sounds like without just hearing it for yourself. So now at the end, to me, the ending here actually appears to be from the perspective of the abuser. Um, She says, uh, When all this is ended, as cruel as I am, remember how I loved you, but that nothing, nothing can stand. My friends all wear your colors. Your flag flies above every door. But, bitch, I smell you bleeding, and I know where you sleep. Do you doubt me, traitor? Throw your body in the fucking river. I'm the cunt killer. Mm. Goddamn. Now, she has said that the throw your body in the fucking river line is her favorite, so I really don't know. I don't know if this is from her perspective or the abuser's perspective. But to me, I guess, I don't know. I guess maybe it would have to be from hers, right? Like, uh, oh, So whatever the case, Butcher of the World is up next. So it starts out, I'm the fucking death dealer. I'm the butcher of the world. Rise up and I'll cut you down. Rise up and I'll cut you. I'm the fucking death dealer. I'm the butcher of the world. If you don't fear me yet, you will. If you don't fear me yet. Opening lines to the song, again, super intense. Also, if you're not prepared for it, it'll fucking start, <laughs> start at you because she like uh s- like it just starts off like ah like she just fucking screams. I don't know, like it's it's scary shit. But um she said, uh this is the first song I've recorded and it's now the one I've listened to just too many times. The sample of Henry Purcell's uh, funeral music for Queen Mary, aka the theme from uh a clockwork orange. Was the very first thing I wanted on the record. Uh, this sample also appears in appears in cages, similarly brazen track agent orange. So for me, it's a cultural uh, signifier for stylized gratuitous violence, despite being originally a stately piece written to memorialize the death of a queen. Uh, I like to think about the cultural history of something that has been plundered through sampling, or the different contexts the thing can have interpreted different ways. Uh, I want to deconstruct that and turn it around myself. Uh, Butcher was a good has a good fake out, uh, and then blasts you with that nasty synth that appears throughout the record, but it's fleeting, uh, destabilizing the listener by not allowing them to know what's going to come next. Is part of the cycle I want to create. Uh, intermittent reward, she says. So later she sings uh, to end the song, "May your own shame hang you. May dishonor drown you. May may there be no kindness, no kindness, no kindness." Uh, she, she sings to end the song, which are very cryptic and seemingly hyper-specific lines. Again, just a chilling record. Next up, may failure be your noose. Uh, She says that failure is the biggest risk on the record to me. It's short, it's accessible. Uh, I kept forcing Seth to reassure me it didn't sound like Imagine Dragons or Evanescence. Ugh. That's the ugh ugh, to both. Anyway, I thought there was something fucked up about how open it was musically. Uh, the text is based on the biblical, uh psalms, and it was all built around that march-like chord progression with a slightly off-kilter time signature, which fittingly follows the march from Butcher. Uh, a lot of the way music was written have, have here uh, references Baroque marches or ceremonial pieces from composers like Purcell and Handel. Uh, Mike Burden came into the studio to guest here, and originally we collaborated on this p- pretty straightforward power electronic song, where we hurled lines from the songs at one another, and it turned into this very incongruous four-on-the-floor techno thing that made absolutely no sense with the rest of the record. Uh, I kept trying to save the song, but I couldn't, uh, which was probably a metaphor for something else, and then I was like, fuck this, and made it into something totally different and completely mine. Uh, I think this is where Lee Buford starts drumming. I love his style, uh, which is big and bold. And uh, she sings in the song, Who will love you if I don't? Who will fuck you if I won't? Uh, she sings very angrily. Uh, it ends on a large thematic ending uh, note with the repeating of the line. Everything burns down around me. But it's like, it's like really building. She's like, everything burns down around me. Everything burns down everything. And like just, it's this huge, just big fucking moment, man. Like it's just, it's, It's awesome. Uh, Frankrit is my mini-flowered crown is up next. Here she says, I wanted to give the listener a break, sort of, as a counterpoint to all the elaborate, uh, labyrinthine moving parts prior to this, right? Uh, Lyrically, it's one of the most important songs to me, largely lifted from the song Tender Comrade by Billy Bragg, which is significant to me. One of my abusers named his record after it, and a lot of this record is about my experience of speaking out about this person in my community. Now, this song is about wanting to be loved, and being unloved. I know many people may only hear rage and despair and sp- and spite in Caligula, but there is so much fucking love on this record, I can't stand it. Uh, the flowers abundant in my art and song have to do with flowers being given as a conciliatory gesture after abuse in a past relationship, that I was given flowers many times and then became a, si- a symbol of cruelty. I introduced an extended vocal technique to accompany the word sorrow. Uh, I was trying to think of a way to give something really... Uh, fissund to that word how to impart the feeling of what the word means and I settled on the really lonely bizarre sound of overtone so again I'm gonna play a clip of that so you can really understand that the way that she sings sorrow the way that it it's like elongated I guess it's just really uh, weird and kind of creepy so here we go we go uh it's one of my favorite songs on the whole record she says later says uh brothers in arms brothers in each other's arms all the love god would allow but all god's love means nothing now the bitter blood of many foes sustains me and heavy is my hammer swinging round and softer their throats and softer their skulls and fragrant is my many flowered crown those fucking lines are so fucking metal dude like i love that shit but um she says, uh, flagrant is my many-flowered crown. God alone knows my sorrow. And uh, she kind of goes out with that, right? And she connects the end of uh, Crown to the approaching track, which is track eight, uh, which is you know, a few tracks ahead, right? Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. Uh, the tracks are not only lyrically intertwined, but are also connected by the sounds of a roaming light bulb. Like a, like a light bulb like rolling around on the ground. It's fucking creepy. But um, the prelude to this... Uh, sorrow is the light bulb rolling around on the floor throughout crown. So anyway, I I love when artists connect things like that together with little callbacks to other songs and whatnot, like, or even some, some artists do it like callbacks to like previous albums, even like it's, it's really, really, really cool. Uh, Also the way she ends the song with the word sorrow, it sounds similar to how she sings it and extends it on the previous song. So while she gives us a little break here, um, if the Poison Won't Take You, my, my Dogs Will, coming up next, sharply throws us back into the world of the terrifying and just intense. It uh, starts with a large, piercing sound, like an explosion. Like It's very off-putting. It's very unsettling. The, she says, The song is also pretty brutal lyrically. Uh, it examines the concept of not being able to go on, reclaiming autonomy through suicide, which sometimes has felt like my only option. Uh, the Carrie Ellison... Uh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, descends down the scale, and they are left with only voice, piano, and cello. Uh, The lyrics are a sort of recontextualization of the Jones sound death tape, the way Jim Jones kept manipulating until the very end. Uh, Again, she wanted to replicate uh, also the really fucked up ambient sound in the death tape, the people screaming, the panic energy. And I remember someone commenting on a post of, uh, upon a post full of hell made, uh, another great man about my music that had quote zero blast beats. So not only are there blast beats ripped from YouTube hidden all over the record, uh, they're especially present on this song as well as a sample of a black metal track that will remain nameless as dark as it is. There are little jokes like that everywhere. Self-awareness. Uh, I I'm really interested in the gaze of this music, which, uh, is being looked at and who is doing the looking and how that shifts rapidly. That's kind of kind of cool. Uh, I haven't listened closely enough, I guess, yet to really uh, to catch these uh, <laughs> hidden blast beats, but I really want really to do that. So I have an excerpt here for another interview where she gets more specific about the song and its lyrics. So the interviewer asks, uh, As you've discussed before, the thought of Eileen Wernos appears throughout your work for the case study it provides on the failures of the current system systems at play for women. In Disease of Men, you allow Wernos' voice to resonate throughout, whereas... In If the Poison Won't Take You, My Dogs Will, you hold a conversation with her through striking song, elaborating on the cruelty she endured and offering yourself as an ally. How did you approach this track? So she answers, Eileen is one of my world-building motifs. She appears throughout the catalog so far, and I'm hoping she'll stay. Uh, Poison is partially meant to evoke the ambience of the Jonestown death tape in Jim Jones' monologue. Uh, He says to one of his acolytes, who is questioning the necessity of their imminent suicide, I'm going to tell you, Christine, without me, life has no meaning. I'm the best friend you'll ever have. I wanted this to be the only moment on the record where a person is directly addressed. And I originally had my own name there. But instead, I gave it to Eileen because I wanted to parallel her story and also how I have felt sometimes. That's the only way through that. The only way through is out. And that she's uh, referencing that where she says uh, <clears throat> the the line, Eileen, I only said this once. I'm the best friend you'll ever have. All this, all this is meaningless without me. Again, that's the lyric that she's talking about. Uh, Later she says, Will you join me? Abandon your body so no man can break it. Eileen, I'll only say this once. Life is cruel and time heals nothing. And everything you love will leave you, but not me. So will you join me? Will you join me? If you lay your life down, no man can take it. Make worthless your body so no man can break it. Whew. So... Uh, Day of Tears and Mourning is up next. And in case you're wondering, uh, one, it does not get any brighter from here on out. So Tears has a big uh, big macho sound, but it comes from something else entirely. Uh, Like the funeral music for Queen Mary, the source for this song is a meditation on death. Oh, death, rock me walk me asleep, which was supposedly written by Anne Bolin uh, right after, right before her execution. Sorry, not after. Um, quick history lesson. She, Anne Bolin, for people who don't know, which I didn't fucking know this till I looked it up, uh, born 1501 and died May 19th, 1536, was Queen of England from 1533 to 1536 as the second wife of King Henry Henry VIII. Their marriage and her execution for treason and other charges uh, by beheading made her a key figure in the political and religious upheaval that marked the start of the English Reformation. Oh, Death Rock Me Asleep is a Tudor-era poem uh, traditionally attributed to her, but some suggest it was actually her brother, uh, Lord Rockford, uh, that actually wrote it, but I don't know about that. I was going to say it was her. But, um, it was written shortly before her execution in 1536 and after Queen Elizabeth I was born. Uh, The poem was written in the last days of Anne's life and is a reflection on her suffering. Uh, In it, she observed that she, that her end cannot be avoided and that it will at least give her peace and an escape from her present sufferings. Uh, I highly suggest reading it because, like this album, it's very chilling. And reading what is essentially someone's last words as they've given up hope is just, goddamn. it's sad. But... It is an interesting uh, read, nonetheless. Um, so I'll co- I'll continue with her explanation of things now. Anytime there were heavy moments on Caligula, I wanted to stay away from mental- metal formulas. So instead of beefy beats, we did trip hop fills. Uh, I put the electronic snare I used in the big track on All Bitches Die. Uh, woe to all in here. And if you look up the lyrics to Woe, I think that's a typo. I think she met the lyrics for this song. On the internet, they are listed as... Incomprehensible screaming. So while the lyrics are actually sort of significant here, uh, strongly tied to the Stabat Mater De La La Rosa, uh, the song is aware of itself and is aware of the world it is built upon. Uh, Dylan Walker, who is the vocalist for Full of Hell, does guest vocals here, and I love working with him. Uh, I think his harsh vocals are so great, and our voices occupy a sort of similar frequency, and it can be hard to tell us apart. Uh, I like how we weave in and out. So I looked up what the Stabat Mater Dolorosa is, and I found that uh, the Stabat Mater is a 13th century Christian hymn uh, to Mary, which portrays her suffering as Jesus Christ's mother during his crucifixion. Uh, Its author may either be the Franciscan friar Jacopone de Todi or Pope Innocent III. Uh, The title comes from its first line, Stabat Mater Dolorosa, which means the sorrowful the sorrowful mother was standing. So the hymn is sung at the uh, liturgy liturgy of the on the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. It has been set to music by many Western composers. Uh, I don't know why, but there's just something kind of horrifying about the meaning of that line, and also uh, that the lyrics are unintelligible yelling. But tied to this idea of Jesus's mom watching him being crucified, like all of that together just sounds. It's just really just creepy. I don't know, man. Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow is up next. So she says that the uh, the jump scare and this one gets me every time. I feel like it sets you on edge for the rest of the song. The prelude to this song again is the right is the light bulb rolling around the floor through a uh, crown, right? I will say the um I don't know man again that the light bulb rolling around is very odd. Uh, it still is like the sense of dread. It's crazy. Also, I love how it connects to the other song, but uh, also. It starts to get on the previous track and then leads seamlessly into this one. So that's also really cool. And also the scare that she mentions is the light bulb breaking. And yes, it does get you on edge, especially if you don't know it's coming. Uh, She continues, I truly hate this vocal performance, but Seth insisted we keep it. Uh, I can barely listen to the song, even though the ugliness is intentional. The overtone singing returns, and God alone knows my sorrow is actually from a suicide note written by a man who killed himself and his girlfriend but it is meant to speak to the ineffable quality of trauma, something my music tries to express. This song is, again, about abdicating your body to find freedom. Uh, eventually, this is interrupted by a sample of Lars Ulrich feeling bitter and defeated while eating a sandwich. Yes, that is true. Um, I put this in there to make fun of myself and perhaps to express what I know some people are thinking while they listen to me, but also to pay homage to something that commonly happens when I play. Someone talking during the quiet part of the set. Uh, Seth and I recorded the piano for this over my original vocal demo for the song well after midnight, and Seth was lying on the floor in silence, and it was a very crushing, special experience. So she sings in the song, um, God alone knows my sorrow, and only he can judge. Today I fear nothing, for heaven is my consolation. Burn my body that I may not return. Disperse me to the air, that I may not be defiled by any other earthly thing, she sings. Oh, almost to the end, everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe not my favorite on the record, but definitely my favorite song title. Uh, Spite Alone Holds Me Aloft is like basically how I live my life. But this is another big complex asshole of a thing. She says a secret black metal worship track. Uh, the chord progression I based off primitive black metal but with a weird chromatic twist and it's another one where we did fucked up stuff to the drums. Ted did really brilliant percussion here over the piano working the cymbals to follow the line and I kept the melody simple and mostly did, didn't stuff this song with words. Uh, instead of coming in with blasts, there are improv drums in the B section. Uh, the only line attributed to Caligula himself, let them hate me so, as lo- so long as they fear me, appears here. Uh, my friend Nora who I think is a real visionary and one of the most incredible vocalists joins me here. Her voice soars and cuts through everything. The uh, polyphonic polyphonic, uh, incantation, Kill Them All, is another favorite moment. Uh, Fun anecdote. Uh, Seth did tremolo guitar here. Uh, Lash says that he is a brilliant instrumentalist and played everything I couldn't play and filled in for Lee on drums a few times as well. And when we told Lee we were doing that, Lee texted Seth, but bet you can't do it. So... The amount of fun we had recording this damn thing is pretty criminal for how destructive and real it is. Uh, Speaking of Caligula, Kristen named the album uh, intentionally based on his name as to know the enemy and rebel against him. As he is a metaphor of every abuser out there. Uh, Worth mentioning as well, she has his name tattooed on her chest as seen in the album artwork. The switching between beautifully singing, uh, all who proclaim their love uh, betray me, betray me, all who proclaim their love betray me all who proclaim their love, into the guttural screaming of let them hate me, hate, so long as they fear me. It's like, fear me. Like, it's fucking brilliant. If you can't tell, it's hard for me to accurately convey how this record makes me feel, but it's unlike anything I've ever heard or anything I've ever felt from an album. So, in you know, the ending of the song absolutely fucking crushes to the screaming of spite, spite alone holds me aloft, then it quietly... It quiets down into a rather lovely sounding a sounding, uh, Kill Them All with Spite Alone Holds Me Aloft in the background. This leads nicely into track 10, Fucking Death Dealer. Uh, this track is just fo- voice and sultry inspired equally by Appalachia and early music. It's very quiet and short but menacing. Uh, it's meant to help bring you, uh, bring you down to prepare for the last track. It's kind of a bridge, I guess. Uh, it was one of the last things recorded and honestly, I would love to make music that sounds like just like this for the rest of my life, she says. Throat slitter of the world is something that my friend Josh Landis of a, a song I guess a band called Lambs Bin, uh, Limbs Bin, sorry not Lambs, what the fuck, uh, told me it sounded like a <laughs> Linkin big not a lyric, so it became one. Uh, it repeats lyrics from earlier songs but so gives them different context, echoing the impossibility of breaking a cycle. I'm the fucking death dealer. I'm the butcher of the world. I'm the fucking death dealer. Throat slitter of the world. If you don't fear me yet, you you will, if you don't fear me yet, she sings. It's very short, but also very effective, uh, which preps you for the ending song, I Am The Beast. This is my favorite song on the record, she says. It has a direct link to Henry Purcell's Dido's Lament, and I also wanted it to channel the depletion of the Wagnerian Leibestud, an area that is notorious for being full of cracks and exhaustion performed in context at the end of an incredibly grueling opera. That's... cool. Um... (coughs) All I want is boundless love. All I know is violence. Could be the tagline of the record that violence begets violence and also directly drifts my favorite uh, Frank O'Hara poem from Mediations in an Emergency or Meditations in an Emergency. Uh, I am the least difficult of men. All I want is boundless love. And it begins with speaking to invalidation and verbal abuse. Abuse, beast he named me, beast I am, grief, come claim me. To when the song opens up, I am the beast I am, praise me. It is weaponizing yourself with what has been used against you. Cruelty flipped on itself, used to make oneself powerful. Also a self-aware acknowledgement of the satanic posturing of metal put in context of something real. Uh, The song flows out into a cacophony of lights being smashed around and noise provided by the ever-brilliant Sam McKinley uh, from the Rita. And then the strings from Faithful Servant return to bring you back to the beginning and then you are suddenly abandoned in silence, left with nothing or to repeat it all again and with that absolutely crushing album comes to a satisfying close five out of five pick it up listen to it experience it right like upon first listen i didn't know what to make of it honestly i was just kind of really like oh man is this what everybody's been talking about then on second listen i, I kind of just dug in and really paid attention and then the more I listened, the more I found things that I loved, and found more and more things. As every track is pretty heavily layered, and there's like a bunch, there's a lot going on. So uh, even now, like researching and diving and even more, I found even more kind of hidden stuff throughout. You know, so it's it's really cool. It's an incredible record, one again that I highly, highly recommend. So I've done for this week, but uh, come back next week uh, for the first week of Record Label Month. Yay! Actually, let me double check that. I don't know if it's actually going to be next week when this releases. And then, uh, let's see. This is going to come out on the 25th and the next one. No, so actually it'll be not next week, but the week after. So it'll be two weeks and I'll have my first episode of uh, Record Label Month. So that should be pretty fun. So stick around and check that out. So um, again, guess for the Vinyl Countdown, I am Jeremy Levine and hope to be in your ears next week, everybody. Take care. Thanks.